Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 5. I've been preaching through the book of Acts. The Acts, uh, the book of Acts covers the events that took place right after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. So he, he came, he lived, he died, he, he rose again to pay for the sin of the world, and Jesus then ascended back to heaven. And the book of Acts gives us then the history of the next 35 years or so, when the early apostles, early disciples went out to share the good news about Christ. And we are now in Acts chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 11, uh, but we are going to start reading up in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. The reason being is because Acts 4 is intimately connected to Acts 5. Uh, you have to be careful with the chapter breaks in your Bible. There were no chapter breaks in the original scriptures, and those chapter breaks can make you think that they're not connected at all, but they are. Acts 4 is connected to Acts 5, so we will start reading here in just a minute in Acts 4, verse 32. And, and it starts here in Acts 4, verse 32, just talking about the early church now in Jerusalem and some of the things they had going on in the early church. They had a lot of good there, but we're also going to see in Acts 5 that everything in the early church was was not good. Let's go ahead and pray as we get going here. Our Father, as we open up your scripture, I would just ask for your help this morning. Father, this uh, prayer is, is just a prayer for illumination now. That, Father, you would not let us go into your scriptures and just see in this book black words on a white page. But Father, you are the one who breathed these words out and we pray now that as we open your word, you would give us the gift of your Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit, Father, this morning would, would, would just search our hearts, would go deep in our hearts, um, search uh, the deep things of our hearts, you would reveal to us the things that are in our hearts and Lord God, you would use this part of our word to bring us close to you and close to Christ this morning. I just commit this to you, Father, this morning. This is one of the more startling passages in the New Testament. And I pray, Father, that, that it would have its effect on us here this morning. And we would not walk away unchanged, treating this as some sort of light thing. But, Father, you would cause this to have the tone that it is supposed to have this morning. And I commit it to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, the Christian church in this world, all of those people who uh, have put their faith in Christ and they now follow Christ in faith, the Christian church in this world will always face a couple different types of, of threats. The, the church will face external threats from people outside the church. The church will just face hostility at times from unbelievers in this world, persecution, slander, even martyrdom at times, at times dangers from without. But the Christian church will also face some more subtle threats, more hidden, often more deadly, not external threats, 
but internal threats, dangers from within the church itself, disunity among believers, divisions, deceit, moral failures, other sins within the church that threaten to destroy the church from the inside out. And, and up to this point here in the book of Acts, we have seen some external threats against the early church in, in Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 4 bringing persecution against the church, uh, imprisoning Peter and John and, and threatening the early Christians to, to stop preaching Christ. These, these, these dangers from without. But now here in Acts 5, we see something different. No longer an external threat, but now internal dangers from within, a cancer within the church itself. Let's go ahead and read, starting in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed here in Jerusalem were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all, all that were in this early church in Jerusalem. There was not a needy person among them, not a needy believer among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias Ananias, with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So this internal threat now, to this early church in Jerusalem, two 
professing Christians within the church itself. We'll just walk through the passage here. Luke tells us first about Ananias and then about Sapphira. And then I want to see at the end here today if we can draw some final conclusions from from their story. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us first here about this man, Ananias. You know, we could tell from the last part of chapter 4 there that the church in Jerusalem at this time had some really good things. There, there was some great unity among the believers in Jerusalem. They were sharing their things with one another. And, and Luke said there was not a needy Christian among them because those Christians who had possessions were selling them and, and, and then bringing the money for, for their, the, the sales and laying the money at the apostles' feet. Peter, James, and John, and, and so on, who would then distribute the money to the needy Christians in their midst. It is possible that these Christians were very literally laying their money down at the apostles' feet. A a symbolic act of some sort showing that they were entrusting their money to the apostles. It it might have been done in private at times, just walking into Peter's office and laying money at his feet. Or it could have been done publicly in some sort of service or, or meeting like this, people just walking to the front and laying the money at the apostles' feet. When Thomas and I were in India, there, there, there was a time in the service when people could walk up front and, and literally lay at the feet of their pastor this rice and, and, and these other food items, these gifts for the needy in, in their church. And, and Luke here, he, he gives us one example at the end of Acts 4 of a very generous giver, this man Barnabas, who sold a, a field and he brought all of the money for that field and he he laid it at the apostles feet for the needy in their church but as soon as Luke mentions this very generous giver in the church named Barnabas well in the very next verse Acts 5 1 Luke now tells us about some very different types of givers Ananias and his wife Sapphira verse 1 says that Ananias like Barnabas he sold a piece of property, or a piece of land. But with his wife's knowledge, with her consent, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds of the sale, and he laid only part of the money at the apostles' feet. And here's the important thing to catch here in this passage. It was not necessarily wrong for Ananias to keep some of the money. Nobody here required that that Ananias give all of the money from the sale. Every single penny. Nobody did. Peter will say very clearly here to Ananias that this property before the sale, it was his own. And after the sale, well, the money was at his disposal to do with as he saw fit. He could have given all of his money or he could have given some of his money. It was his decision. Ananias could have done something like this. Hey Peter, Sapphira and I, we, we, we just sold a piece of land out in western Minnesota. And we sold this land so we could give some money to, 
to the poor in our church. Our land, Peter, it's sold for $400,000. And Peter, we, we have prayed about it. We have talked with our friends and we are going to keep $100,000. We will use $50,000 of that to pay for my father's funeral, uh, for, for our oldest daughter's marriage. Uh, we, we will use some of it to fix our car, to feed and clothe our family. We'll use some of that 50000 to help our neighbors. And we're going to use another 50000 and give it to our missionary friends over in Ghana. So, Peter, we are keeping $100,000 and we are giving the other $300,000 to the, you apostles to distribute to the needy in our church. And Peter probably would have looked at Ananias and said, Well done, Ananias! That is a fantastic gift that will help so many needy people in our church. Great job. It was not necessarily wrong for Ananias to keep some of the money here. No, the problem with what Ananias did here was that Ananias lied. He lied about what he did. He lied about the price of his land. He told Peter and the rest of the church that his land sold for less than it really did so that it would look like he was giving all the money from the sale to the church like Barnabas while he was actually keeping some for himself. And today, we might call that a little white lie. Hey, Peter, Sapphira and I just sold our land to help the needy in our church. And we sold our land, Peter, for only $300,000. I know, Peter, that you can go online to Zillow And it says that our land is worth $400,000, but we're Christians, Peter, and we gave the man a really good deal, sold it for just $300,000, and now, Peter, we are giving all the money from the sale of our land to the poor while they were secretly keeping a hundred grand for themselves. And just just stop and put that in a modern church today. Just just picture it. Ananias and Sapphira sitting in the back. They don't, they don't want to show off too much. They, they wait till the end of the service. The organ is now playing, I surrender all. And Ananias then slowly walks forward forward hesitantly, this great display of false humility. And he lays a check for $300,000 at the pastor's feet. And he says, my wife and I surrender all to Jesus and His people. And what he did there, if you picture the man in a church service today, looks great on the surface. If you think about it, this guy just gave a huge donation to his church. 
sold his own land and gave a gigantic chunk of the money to the poor in his church. Who does that today? Most churches today would love this guy. Would absolutely honor this guy and his wife. No doubt. Wow. What a sacrifice. Ananias and Sapphira, you, you, you are exemplary model givers in our church. Do, do, do you know what we're going to do for you, Ananias and Sapphira? Well, we're going to put your names on a brick. Outside the church building, give you public recognition as some of the biggest donors in our church. But here's the problem. God saw the little white lie. And he did not like it. Pretty amazing when you stop and consider what's going on here. To think that someone could give a huge sum of money to their church like this to care for the needy and God would not be pleased. God is not pleased simply because you give a large check to your church. Why? Because as 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Great gift here on the surface would have deceived everybody probably in this local church, but God saw the heart behind the gift, and the heart here was not good. You know what this was here with Ananias and Sapphira? It's very simple. It's called hypocrisy. And we've all done it to one degree or another. You pretend in front of people to be just a little better than you really are. You pretend to be just a little more generous. You pretend to be just a little more sacrificial. You pretend to be just a little nicer than you really are. And why did they do it here? Why did they pretend to be more generous, pretend to be more sacrificial than than they really were? Well, the same reason why you and I commit the sin of hypocrisy. They probably just wanted to look good in the eyes of other people. Wanted to look good to the apostles. They they wanted to look good in the eyes of their local church. They wanted a brick like Barnabas. They wanted human praise. They wanted to be esteemed. They wanted to be recognized. They they wanted to be valued. They they, they just saw this sacrificial gift from Barnabas and and the respect that he received for his gift. So, So they announced that they would also sell land and just like Barnabas, they would give all of the proceeds for the sale. It's hypocrisy, deceit, dishonesty, sham, pretense, It's a little white lie. John Stott says this. He says, They wanted the credit and the prestige for sacrificial generosity without the inconvenience of it. So in order to gain a reputation to which they had no right, they told a brazen lie. Their motive in giving was not to relieve the poor, but to fatten their own ego How many times has that happened in the American church? 
not giving really to relieve the poor, but to fatten your own ego in the church. And man, I, you know, he, here's the problem with little white lies. Here's the problem with just a little bit of hypocrisy. That stuff can devastate a church. Luke is trying to tell us something here in this passage. You, you, you know what he says there in verse 3 that Ananias kept back for himself some of the money? Well, Luke used there a very rare Greek word. A Greek word found only a couple times in the New Testament. A word that is found in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which Luke would have used, is a word found in the story of Achan, Joshua 7. The Jews at that time, Joshua chapter 7, the Jews were trying to enter the promised land. They just defeated Jericho. The walls came tumbling down. And God had commanded the Jews at that time to destroy all the valuables there in Jericho. But this one man, Achan, saw some things that he wanted. And Joshua 7 says that Achan kept back for himself those valuables. He hid them, lying about it. And the Bible says that because of Achan's little white lie, the anger of the Lord then burned against all the people of Israel. And there's a lesson there. Your, your, your sin never affects just you. Never. Your sin will always affect the people around you. Can affect your entire church. With this guy Achan, that there, there was now sin within the camp, which affected the entire camp. And Luke now grabs that rare Greek word from that story with Achan. And Luke now says here that Ananias kept back for himself some of the proceeds. Another little white lie, sin in the camp, that had the potential to affect the entire camp. Acts of deceit like that, hypocrisy, little white lies, that stuff can devastate a church today. That stuff can seriously weaken a church, weaken the relationships in a church. One man goes easy on little white lies and it just spreads. And now it's all over the whole church. Nobody really being all that truthful. And it can kill a church's witness to the world. You know, hypocrisy may hurt a church's witness to the lost quicker than anything else. If you have a group of professing Christians who are pretending on a regular basis to be better than they really are? Fake? Inauthentic? Squeaky clean on the surface maybe, but different under the surface? That, that hypocrisy in a church? Well, well, lost people can smell that hypocrisy a mile away. How many people in our world have rejected Christ ultimately 
because of the hypocrisy they saw in a local church. Fake Christians, inauthentic, it's obvious, and they walk away. This little white lie here with Ananias, it seems kind of innocent on the surface. We, we wouldn't even notice it probably. But man, I'm telling you, this thing right here, it was a very subtle internal threat to this entire body of believers. It was a cancer within the church starting to grow, and God saw it, and God now exposes it. And you just picture it, Ananias just dropped the money at Peter's feet, I surrender all, still playing on the organ, but Ananias begins to sweat because Peter is not smiling. Peter, tipped off by the Holy Spirit, has sensed something. And he's staring right into Ananias' eyes, and he now speaks, if you look at verse 3 again. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And in Peter says a couple key things there. Verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? It's very similar to what the Bible says about Judas Iscariot who betrayed Christ. John 13, 2 says this. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And Peter now says that Satan has filled the heart of Ananias to lie. So Peter here, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he sees here that behind Ananias' words is the very malicious activity of Satan himself, who had somehow influenced Ananias, tempted him to lie, dropped this little financial scheme in, in his mind. Now that does not excuse Ananias. Oh, the devil made me do it, so it's not my fault. No, it's not. That's not true. Peter says in verse 3 that Satan filled Ananias' heart to do it. But Peter then says in verse 4 that Ananias contrived the deed within his own heart. Satan may have tempted, may have enticed Ananias here. But Ananias took a bite of the fruit. On his own. But man, you look at that, that is a great indicator there of how much Satan hates the church. And a great indicator of the subtle tactics Satan will use to try to destroy the church. Here in the book of Acts, Satan has already tried to stir up external threats against the church, persecuting the, 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 the early church. It's just made them stronger. So now Satan changes his tactics, enticing just one couple. Just one couple within the church to tell just one little white lie. Did you, did you ever stop to think that your little white lie 
might have been instigated by Satan himself in an attempt to destroy or seriously weaken your local church. That's what was happening right here. And another key thing Peter says to Ananias here, he says, you have lied, Ananias, to God himself. He says it twice. Verse 3, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, you lied not to man, but, but to God. And, and you stop and just, just think about this. Those were the last words Ananias ever heard. You lied to God. And he breathes his last and drops dead on the spot. Possibly in a service like this. Laying dead at the front. A divine judgment from God himself. Who killed Ananias? Well, it might rock your theology, but God did. The one who has the power of life and death took this man away for his little white lie. And Luke says that great fear then came upon all who heard of it And I'll bet it did. And they buried Ananias. And Luke, Luke, he then tells us about Sapphira. He says in verse 7, the three hours later, Sapphira came in. Maybe into Peter's office. Maybe into a church setting with many other believers there. And Luke says she didn't know yet what had happened to her husband. And Peter gives her a chance to tell the truth. To give the real price of the land. Gives her a chance. Verse verse 8, tell me, Sapphira, whether you sold your land for so much. Did you really sell it for what your husband said? Listen, there's a saying. When you have a chance to tell the truth, you tell the whole truth. It might be hard, but life will go better for you if you do. And Sapphira had a chance to tell the truth, but she didn't. Verse 8, yes, Peter, we sold it for the amount that Ananias said. And Peter did not hesitate. You look at verse 9. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church. And upon all who heard of these things. Why did you test the Holy Spirit? You know, the Bible says repeatedly that we should not put God to the test. 
What does that sound like? Well, I think here it sounded something like this. Oh, God won't really see our little white lie. Or if he does, he won't do anything. Yes, there's some deceit in what we're doing here. But look at the size of the gift. Surely that cancels out any wrong. Surely God would be pleased with my gift. Put God to the test. And Sapphira now drops dead on the spot. Another divine judgment. God now taking her away for her little white lie. And Luke says, once again there, that great fear came upon the whole church and upon all, even non-Christians who heard of it. Everyone in Jerusalem now probably much more careful with their words and their actions. And that's what a healthy fear of God will do. Sobers you up very quickly. And that's the story. It's just a very different threat now coming against this early church. Not external danger from without, but internal danger from within. And God has now sovereignly removed the threat. Zealously protecting this young early church. God removed the threat. And you think about Ananias and Sapphira, you know, there are a couple possibilities of what was maybe going on in their souls. It is very, very possible that Ananias and Sapphira were actually false believers. Christians in name only. But they did not truly have the Holy Spirit inside them. They never truly repented of their sin. They were not truly trusting in Christ. Jesus was not truly their master. Jesus promised in the Bible that within the church there would be wolves in sheep's clothing. There would be people who look on the surface, on the outside, like Christians. They've been baptized maybe. They, they attend services. They may look very moral. They, they say They trust in Christ. They they may even believe that they do trust in Christ, but there's been no real work of the Holy Spirit within their hearts. Jesus is not truly their master. Dressed in sheep's clothing, maybe, but still wolves at heart. And Jesus says in the Bible that we will know the wolves in sheep's clothing by their fruit by the words and the actions of their lives. And it's possible that Ananias and Sapphira were wolves in sheep's clothing. And their fruit now, this deceit, this hypocrisy, has revealed the true condition of their hearts. There are still wolves in sheep's clothing in churches today. And God has ways of removing them to protect His church. God removed Judas Iscariot, a wolf in sheep's clothing, and Ananias and Sapphira might have been the same. But do you know what? It is also possible that they were actually true believers. They did have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. They had repented. They were now following Christ in faith, but they stumbled here. 
Now, not hypocrites through and through, maybe, but committing a sin of hypocrisy here, which every true Christian has done at times. They're pretending in public to be just a little better than they really were. Every Christian has told a little white lie at times, bending the truth to look just a little bit better. True believers still do commit sin, and at times, very serious and and, and damaging sins. David's adultery, which affected all of Israel. Peter denying Christ, which affected all all of the disciples. It's possible here that God was not removing from this church some wolves in sheep's clothing. No, it is possible that God was actually removing from this church a couple of his own children. Removing them for their own good. God may have foreseen that this would just get worse and worse with Ananias and Sapphira, and he took them out. But they get an instant paradise in heaven if they're true believers. God may have removed them, though, for their good. Maybe remove them, remove, remove them for the, the church's good. To protect the relationships within the church so this lying wouldn't begin to infect everybody. And also to protect this church's witness to a lost world so the church wouldn't start looking hypocritical to the unbelievers in, in Jerusalem. We ultimately don't know about Ananias and Sapphira, about the state of their souls. But let me give you a couple conclusions that I think God probably wants us to draw from this passage here. One conclusion that we should probably draw from this story, the seriousness of sin. You know, it is easy as a Christian to be kind of soft on sin. God says things clearly in the Bible concerning sin. God even delineates, he even lists in the Bible different sins, clear black and and white language, and and some Christians just kind of wink at those things. It's not that big a deal. You're saved by grace, man. Avoid the big sins, maybe. But little white lies. Little white sin. Just a little deceit every now and then. Just a little exaggeration in your stories. Just a little bit of hypocrisy. A little jealousy, backbiting, unforgiveness, slander, drunkenness, sexual immorality. No big deal. Jesus loves me, this I know. And now I can do just about anything I want, you know within reason. It's just this mentality that sin within measure is not that serious. But it is. It can be devastating to you, devastating to your church, devastating to your church's witness to a lost world. And God, God takes every sin seriously. You, you know this, this little white lie here? Man, we, we have a tendency to go soft on little white lies. Just bending the truth a little. God just killed two people for a little white lie. We think it's no big deal really to be a liar. Not that truthful in my words. Can I show you what God says about liars? Revelation 21.8. 
But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Yes, Christians can commit little white lies. We've all done it. But if you think then that lying is not that serious? That's a massive problem. And and please just hear this. If the constant fruit of your life, your regular practice in life is lying, deceit, exaggeration, hiding, sham, pretense, little white lies, then I do not care whether you call yourself a Christian. That verse right there should terrify you. A very deep and healthy fear of God because the fruit in your life is indicating that you might not actually be a true Christian. You know, one of the reasons why we don't take sins like lying very seriously because we don't fear God in a healthy biblical way. He's our buddy. He's hip. We don't fear him. And verses like that, or this story right here, they are designed by God to cause you to fear God in, in, in a healthy biblical way, like, like these people did in this passage here. And, and the fear of God, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. Once you begin to fear God, you begin to take your words and actions a little more seriously. That's one conclusion we should draw here, I believe, the seriousness of sin. And a second conclusion, the holiness of God. 